Yes! Welcome back to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we have an opinion like we have a clue. Thank you for coming back. And here's your host, John Nothing Doe. Oh, yeah. Another beautiful day, another beautiful podcast. We are part of Go Deep Productions. I'm John Nothing Doe, just in case you forgot. And I got a very special guest on the line for you today. And I know I always say that. And I really do mean that every guest that comes on the show is special to me, and I hope I'm special to them in some degree, good, bad, or otherwise. With no further ado, we will get the introductions right out of the way. We have Judith Weigel. I think I said it right that time. Did I not say it? You nailed it. (laughs) I'm glad because I'm so horrible at it. I can own it, though. That's one thing that's for certain. John, honestly, I do the same thing when I'm introducing people for the pod, my podcast. I say their name. I say their name. I say their name before they air. And doggone it, don't I mess something up. (laughs) But it's life. That's it, right? I uh, all I can do is own it, be humble, and try to correct myself, right? And you you do quite nicely, yes. Well, thank you. So. You're a very interesting character. You and I had a quick conversation. It was literally just a couple lines on LinkedIn, which is where I find a lot of my guests in case you're interested in or on the show. You have a very uh, lengthy school career that has led you to where you're at now. So you're a paralegal slash uh, mediation. I can't remember the last part of it. It was like, uh, like you're a mediator, yes? Right. So I'm a divorce mediator. But I'm also what's called a document preparation company. Completely boring title. <laughs> but you have to be you have to be a paralegal, then you have an additional license to be able to file for amicable and this is where we're gonna take off, aren't Keywords, we? Keywords, yes. <laughs> to be able to file for amicable divorces without an attorney overseeing me. Okay. Um, so amicable, John. And then I say this to everybody who calls. Yes, amicable this is this is interesting. Not- amicable. The idea of amicable. It's almost like unicorns in like a, a far, maybe like, I don't know, an Amazon like background, you know, like green lush grass and trees and butterflies and dragons. <laughs> John, are you trying to say that unicorns don't exist? I have yet to see one. I see them on cartoons, though. <laughs> one could easily argue with you this is not an oxymoron amicable divorce it is not um it is a true thing what that means is twofold that the couple is able to communicate with one another they don't need to hire attorneys to communicate for them they are able to communicate and they may not agree on everything but they're at least willing to mediate and work out the settlement in a compromised situation. Okay. That's what it means. That's fair. When I think of Amical, I think of two people that can sit in the room and not call each other's names and completely embarrass their kids and everybody else in the middle. Okay, so the queen of amicable divorces, when I get people in the room, they're not always truthful. They they say, oh, Judy, we are. Yeah, we can talk to one another. And then you get them in the room and, Cats and you dogs. have to eventually split them up and put them into different rooms in order to get something done. It's the willingness. Well, I call it, it's the willingness to try and work things out. You know, behind the scenes, I think it's also money. I'm not as expensive as attorneys. And so 
people will then say, okay, I can afford you. Let's see what we can work out. Well, that part makes sense. So we were also talking a little bit. You have almost like a a grocery list of when you're going through this process with people, right? I'm just going to start naming them off and I'm going to have you explain and go into however much detail you want to go into. But uh, I liked your list. First of all, I think it's a it's a very good list. And I think a lot of people just seek people like you in terms of getting an amicable divorce. Because I think the alternative isn't really in the best interest of anybody but the people receiving the money to kind of be the middleman. So number one, you put going through the emotional divorce before filing for the legal divorce. What does that mean for that couple? And that is a number one, the most important thing that you can do in order to calm things down and be able to discuss under the covenant of the legal filing everything you have to discuss in a divorce. So When I went through my divorce back in 1992-93, it was amicable in that we had no problem talking to one another. He advanced the idea of divorcing. I was very saddened by it, although I knew the relationship had problems. Okay. I met him when we were both working for the circus. He was the band leader. He was a musician. He rose to be the band leader. I was a marketing director, and I sublimated my career and became the dancing bear the year I got married. Oh, wow. I did the typical typical female thing and changed my career so that I could be with him and travel on the show, which was actually very hip and cool. I traveled ahead of the show as a marketing director, but I traveled on the show when I got married, and I was forced against my will. Let me just say that right now. Okay. Forced against my will to be the dancing bear by show management. But when we eventually were going to get divorced, he was on another circus at the time, and I was already living in Los Angeles producing live entertainment for private events, both corporate and social. He was going to be in charge of the filing. This is how life has an organic way of working things out if you let it. He was going to be in charge of the filing and just send me things I had to sign and assignments I had to do. But with traveling, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. So they, I think they just dismissed the case or something. That was a year. That took a year. Then he came out to California to see me. Apparently, I had left some personal items uh, with him, and so he wanted to return them to me. That year, John, this is what I want everybody to understand who is listening. That year that I was just waiting for paperwork, I was processing my emotions. I was going through the grieving stage. So the emotional divorce is going through the seven stages of grieving in order to release the emotion, come out the other side kind of as a new person, so to speak, a new emotional person, and be able to then to talk about the legal technicalities. May I tell you what the seven stages of grieving are? Yes, please. Everybody, people are going to relate to this. Shock, denial, anger, depression, anxiety, apology, 
and forgiveness. I had to pull, I had to remember those. I, I did them in the TEDx talk, and that was really important. So those are the seven stages of, of, of grief. When somebody dies, we go through grief. We understand shock. We understand depression. Oh, bargaining. That's what one of the seven stages is, not anxiety, bargaining. Yes. So think about divorce. So first of all, if you're the one being asked for the divorce, it's not that you don't know the relationship needs help. To hear those words, I want a divorce, is absolutely shocking. It, it rocks your system. Absolutely. That's Then you go into denial. Some people say, no, this can't be happening. I know that we can work this out. Let's just go to counseling. You wanted to go to counseling before. I'm so sorry I never did it. Let's go. Or we went to counseling. You know, we didn't do a great job. Let's try it again. That, that's the denial and then the followed by the bargaining. When all of that doesn't work, you go into depression, anger and depression. And you, then you have to snap out of it because you have a life. You have a job. You may have children. You have friends and family. So you do eventually have to come out of it. But that takes time. You must process. So once you go through those five emotions, on the positive side of the grieving is possibly there's apology, possibly to release any of the negative emotions, possibly you added the fuel that caused the other person to ask for the divorce. But when you hit forgiveness, you're ready to file and you know you've made a transformation. And when people talk about forgiveness, you're not forgiving the ill behavior of your spouse if your spouse exhibited ill behavior. That, that's not what you're doing. You're forgiving just the whole issue, the whole chain of events that led to the request for divorce that it allows you to release. It's for you. It's for the person forgiving. And so once you've gone through all of that, you are ready to go through the legal talk because honestly, dealing with emotion and negotiating money all at the same time, it, not a it good doesn't plan. work. <laughs> it's not a good plan no, at all. No, no, that's when you go to the attorneys, you duke it out, you just you just can't talk money and go through emotion at the same time. So when people call me, I, I say, so when did you have the divorce talk about how long ago was that? And if I am told a year or two ago, I know they're ready to roll. That if I was told, I just went through his cell phone, I found the or the, the text that he's been having this affair, I want to file right now. I guarantee you it's going to be a rough, rough go. No kidding. So mm -hmm. in your case, when they come and they are in that emotional state, are you quick to say, get therapy, which is your number two? on how to deal with the grief before even continue with you there, Judith, or? So, what was my number two again? Get therapy for grief say? counseling. Oh, grief. Yeah, I definitely suggest that without a doubt. Without, I'm very comfortable saying, I really think you need help. They need somebody to say it. I'm not a therapist. I can't do that for you. And I guarantee you that if they don't, they'll be calling me or they call their attorneys and they use me or the attorneys to unload the emotion that really belongs in a therapist's office. I can't force them to do it, but I can do the best I can at saying you're not serving yourself well. You do need to breathe. You need to take a break. You need to process this. Not to mention 690 bucks is a bit much. 
for counseling <laughs> when you can get it cheaper from someone that you can actually help you? Well, going to therapists can be expensive. Your insurance might cover some of it. It might. Health insurance remains to be seen. But these are important things to consider. If you can hold it together emotionally and the release of your pain is, let's just get this paperwork done. I, I know what I want. I know what I don't want. I'm going to make it easy. Okay, then that's fine. If you're going to make it easy, there's no argument here. Let's just generate the paperwork, get it done, and then go ahead and heal. That makes sense. And I guess that kind of falls right close to number three, which is learn the importance of forgiveness in divorce. It's super important, or you will you will live a bitter life. You really, really will. And I mean, how many people have I interviewed on the podcast that are children of divorce? Their parents still aren't talking, and they have grandkids. <laughs> children of divorce have already produced their own children, and their parents still aren't talking. One parent has moved on, gotten married, had a wonderful family. The other parent is still talking about the divorce. 20 years later. Is that typical in your field? Have you found that to be pretty typical? Yeah. I, I mean, I ask people if they're children of divorce just to understand what their experience was. And um, there's enough people where one person still hasn't gotten over it. Oh, and that's a shame. That's terrible. It, it hurts, right? Like I hear stories. I know of a couple people in particular, I won't name their names for their sake, but like I hear that. I hear the anger still going on you know, years and years later and, you know, the one person's just kind of sheltering the burden for them and their kids, right? You know, mothers and yeah. or fathers in that matter, you know? It's kind of disheartening and it sucks, right? Because I don't think that person that's kind of moved on and, and kind of figured out how to deal with their grief wants to see the other person still, like, enraged, you know, three, four, five years later, you know, or even 10, 20 years later for that matter. So true. I mean, I call it emotional justice-seeking, which you can never do. There, there's no level of justice-seeking that will satisfy your emotions. Only you can satisfy your emotions and release that. You know, my, my guess is, and, and just think about this in your own life when, you know, you have friends, family that have gone through this, and that is uh, something Brene Brown talks about, and, and, and it's vulnerability. You know, stuff happens to all of us, but it's the embarrassment we have over the stuff that's happened and the inability to say, well, maybe I was part of this. Maybe I brought this on. Let me learn from this. You can't learn from anything that happens in your life if you don't at least look at a situation and say, well, what did I contribute? Because if I contributed something, that means I have some level of control here to move this forward and to change my circumstances. But if you can't look at maybe your part in this, then you're really stuck. So what are some examples of looking at your part? Now, this is, I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not, but it definitely mm. surprised me. And this has happened more than once in my practice. And that is, for some reason, only with women. After they've argued over the settlement in mediation, and it's they've always been tough mediation, the man will leave first. These are in heterosexual marriages. The man will always leave first. The wife will stay there and talk, pulling the papers together, organizing the purse. And I don't talk. I just listen. And finally, at the end of it, she will say, you know, 
I knew I shouldn't have married him. I knew it before we got married. I felt it in my gut. I knew I was making the wrong decision. That he checked all the box. I can't tell you. I've heard that more times than I thought I would ever hear that. And I know that people think it's jitters sometimes, that they're just uncomfortable leading up to the marriage. And generally, your family will say, thinking you should reconsider this, he just doesn't seem like the right person for you. Not that he's a bad person. Yeah. He just doesn't seem like the right person. And then you argue against that because now you want to convince them and yourself that you've made the right decision. Now, what does checking all the right boxes mean? Well, you know, he seems like he has a solid career, path forward. Uh, we, we seem to like some of the same things, but not always. Or the narcissist, if you're in with a narcissist, they've whined and dined you. They've love-bombed you. That's going to say that. They've overwhelmed you, right? Have you heard this with yeah. people you've talked to? Absolutely. The love-bombing, I, th- I think, is like the number one thing. I think of, uh, I didn't see it, but I keep hearing about the, the Tinder swindler kind of thing. I've heard the Tinder swindler, too. But, you know, it, it's hard to understand love bombing. First of all, it makes you feel good, right? Absolutely. He was in my driveway when I got home from work, and he wanted to cook me dinner. He had gone to the grocery store. He had all these things. They fail to say it's a week after meeting him. Oof. That's too much. See, people don't understand how to evaluate their partner, their intended spouse. They don't know how to evaluate. And so, yes, it's great. Somebody wants to cook dinner for you. Who, who wouldn't want that, right? Yeah. But you have to look at the, the timing of it. How appropriate is the timing? Like, okay, I was love bombed. After many years in this business, a few years ago, I was love bombed. I met somebody in a sports bar. We had a great time in the sports bar. The next day, I get an email with a ton of hearts, little emoji hearts. And because I'm in this business, I'm like, wait a minute. Red flag. It wasn't even. Yep, yep, red flag. It hasn't even been 24 hours. This is an inappropriate email. Yeah. I think if I wasn't in this business, I think I would have been, oh, my God, swept off my feet. This is amazing. I met Prince Charming. Who doesn't want that person? No, 100%. That's a scary way of thinking about it, right? Because, you know, a lot of people that have not been through it or even people that have been through it, it's so easy to be like like reoffending in a, in in a sense, right? Like reoffending and ignoring all the the warnings, the red flags, the bells ringing, all that fun business, right? And going back to what you were talking about, like with the family trying to like warn you before you walk down the aisle, I always thought that was kind of brutal. It's like you know if you're gonna have that conversation, it, I think it'd be better suited to have it at least a week before the wedding, or you know maybe sooner, right? Because I think a lot of people are. Like maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people are close to their family. And I think the idea of like letting things go until you finally just can't let it go and then say something to me is, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's irresponsible because ultimately it's the person's choice that's getting married. But I think, you know, if you're close to that person, whomever's getting married and like you feel like you have to say something, I think that's the time to say it like long in advance. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. It's been shortly after you meet that person, you watch the behavior. And, you know, it's interesting. It's not even necessarily that it's a mean person. No. But you kind of 
that just, you know what feels right when you see a couple together, when you listen to them talk? When I, listen, when I was producing entertainment for private events, I'm in Los Angeles, so West Side Weddings are enormous money makers. Oh, yeah. I could tell at a certain point who was going to get divorced because they would argue over music. If you're going to argue over music, if you're going to argue with each other while you're talking about something really fun like the music, yeah, we have a problem. We have, and I, and I, I, we were right every time. Within a year or two, well, Judy, do you remember us? Oh <laughs> you wow! Did, you did my wedding a couple years ago. Well, it didn't work out. Now I'm here to I'm see you for the divorce. <laughs> yeah, this was before divorce. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I was doing the music. Okay, so I loved producing entertainment. I really, really, really loved it. And I actually really loved the weddings. The food was great, so I always got to eat. But I would go to the wedding ceremonies because I'm such a sentimental person. And, you know, it, I, I just love that portion of it. But I, at a certain point, I, I remember saying, you know, these are very unrealistic vows. Yes. This was probably after I got divorced. Yes, I have a feeling because I started this in 80. I started doing music for events in 89. And in 93, I was divorced. So it was probably shortly after that that I started saying, wait a minute, if I could rewrite these vows, here's how I would rewrite them. We're going to do our very best. But who knows? <laughs> it possibly may not work out. So I will pledge to you my loyalty and support. But don't cross me. That makes sense. Now I have I have my line. You know, here's a weird question before we go back into uh, the, the grocery list that you delivered me here. Now, do you think with dealing with all this stuff, and this may this question might be premature to the list, but uh, do do you find that the laws maybe are there's too much law involved in in marriage and common law, or do you think there's not enough? Okay, first of all, I passionately hate the court system. Beautiful. I use it, I file in it, and I passionately hate the court system. There, it's just it doesn't serve people well, at least in family law. It just doesn't serve people well because you have judges who have been attorneys, and there's a certain personality type that you have to have as a litigating attorney. Now you have a judge and you have these poor people in front of him or her, and they either may be represented by attorneys or they may be doing it themselves. And maybe there are some serious issues, serious behavioral issues with parents that will be very detrimental to the children. A, a judge can't figure this stuff out. They just can't. They don't know how to really evaluate people. They have to go by the law. But the law has nuances to it to a certain extent. You have range of choices. This is what I learned once I got to be a paralegal. So when judges become judges, when people become judges, they're given this huge book of the law and uh, options in decision-making for each area of the law that you're going to have to use and decide on. So that's cool in one sense, but they're not sufficient to be able to step into a serious domestic violence situation, mental illness situation. Your kids have eating disorders because they're so flipped out over the household they were living in 
the judges are insufficient to be able to work this out. And I've read too many orders that just shocked me, just shocked me. And the paperwork is drowning. What they allow attorneys to do is unbelievable, unbelievably bad, uh, the, way, the ways they can litigate. And all of a sudden, you know, an attorney wants to do their job and be creative at defending you. But when I've seen some of these cases written and the defenses they take, I'm in shock they're allowed to do it. And now your marriage and divorce becomes a debate game. And the language, I'll fight for you. Why is there fighting at all? These are human beings that need help calming down and really having people, sensible people work with them to do the best for the transition out of the marriage, especially if there's children. Yes. And that's not, that, that, that's not the way people think. I almost think the and, courts and are like a bank at this point when it comes to family law. They're like, oh, let's see how much we can squeeze out of everybody until somebody loses no matter what. You know what I mean? Well, it's not the court. It's certain types of attorneys. So not all attorneys are created equally. Of course not. There are attorneys that it, this is just a feeding ground, a financial feeding ground, and we can keep this going until my kids are out of college. And then there are attorneys who have a heart. But let me tell you, I was sitting at an evening seminar at one of the bar associations in Los Angeles pre-pandemic. Nobody meets in person anymore, unfortunately, but I'm sitting at a seminar, we're having dinner, and it's really small tables so that you are two inches from the next person. So this is a table of like six, and you, you hear each other's conversations, they're in your face. So I was by myself, and there were two attorneys sitting to my left. The woman was talking to the man. I knew they didn't work together by the way they talked. But she says to him, I got a fabulous new case in today. And he's like, oh, great, great. So to me, fabulous means dollar sign. Yes. All of a sudden, it means dollar sign. And I was right, because she goes on to say, and I got called by opposing counsel today who's representing the husband. And he said to me, get ready. We're going to paper you to death. Now, to the average listener, what do you think that means? You're going to get paid a lot of money because these people just want to fight. What that means is they're going to, you're halfway there. It's all about money. There's obviously a lot of money on the table, and the husband is going to pay for both attorneys. Oh. You know, so that's the insinuation. There's so much money. So she's got the wife, he's got the husband. Husband is going to pay for all the attorney's fees. And papering you to death means we're going to think of every reason imaginable to file a motion, to ask for a deposition, to do witnesses. We're going to use every option available to bill our hourly rates until we can't bill anymore. That's what it means. See, that's so here's what. Sorry, go uh, ahead. This was horrible. This was actually horrible. I was so repulsed. I said, I waited a I waited a few seconds because I wanted to see what she was going to say back. And they both just kind of shook their heads and smiled. So I said, look, I'm so sorry. I, I mean, I, I couldn't help overhearing you. We're, we're sitting a foot apart here. But I'm really interested in what you were saying. May I ask, 
how did you respond to that attorney? And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? How did I respond? I said, how did you respond? I mean, he's going to paper you to death. It hasn't even started. The case hasn't even been filed yet. The petition hasn't been filed. I mean, you could have said like, well, you, I don't want to waste the court's time. It, this is an ethical issue. It's against my morals. What you're asking me to do is misrepresent the wife and go along with all of these filings that are unnecessary. And how is that serving your client well? And she just stared at me, obviously. And I said, look, I'm not an attorney. I'm a document preparation company. And she knows that means I'm a paralegal and I'm a mediator. And this is why I have the two jobs that I have because of situations like this. Yes misrepresenting your own client for money it's sickening inside all in the same sentence it sickens me just to say it It, it's just the repulsive it happens too many times i have surrounded myself with wonderful attorneys who would never do that and who refer me when they get calls from people who don't need them. So attorneys will get calls from people just seeking legal advice. All I need to know is, what's the law? I have never been divorced. Here's my situation. Can you talk to me about the things that are going to come up in my divorce? And so if the case is presented in an amicable way, back to the the topic here in an amicable way you know we're really not fighting we've lived apart for a few years here we have some real estate uh we have a child ready to graduate from high school in a year or two we're both working no need for spousal support or maybe there will be a little spousal support alimony in other states the attorneys i've surrounded myself with would never take that case not necessary you can talk to one another Call Judy. That's, She'll just do the paperwork for you. It's a paperwork divorce. No legal representation needed. But you can call me if you get into a legal advice question, and I will send them back to attorneys for legal advice because I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Well, it's a good two-way street, right? It's a very respectful two-way street you have there, Judith. Yeah. Going yeah. back here yeah, to our grocery cool. list of uh, things that we should know or uh, – if we don't know, we should find out. Number four, you've got posted here. Do uh, do both spouses have to get or have to be of some sort of dip- disposition to get along? And it's kind of like a, a two-part question because you continued with, or can they be, um, or can there be a change in the adversal, adversarial dynamic? Adversarial. 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 This word all day long. I know it can trip people. I'm very up. adversarial. You think I'd be able to get that right off the right off the bat? <laughs> uh, <laughs> dynamic of the spouses during divorce. If only one spouse takes the amicable road. Yes, it can be better. It can actually be better. So there's a thing. There's a technique that we talk about in family law, and it's conflict communication. You have to be able to know how to communicate in conflict. Meeting the other person where they are if they're fighting is not the way. We have not been taught how to communicate properly, especially in conflict. We have fight or flight issues. So when the divorce comes up, you go from, even though you may not have a fabulous relationship, you go from this bond of kind of trust, this 
thread that holds you together enough so that you're living in the same house and you've shared intimate moments and you may have raised a family too, all of a sudden you're like strangers to one another. As soon as the divorce conversation comes up, you look at each other completely differently. Therefore, you communicate differently. Therefore, you really now need to know how to communicate in an environment that could provide conflict. Doesn't have to, but it could. So I have read, I don't know, 15 books by a man named Bill Eddy, E-D-D-Y. Brilliant man. He talks all about high-conflict personalities and how to speak to them in conflict situations. So this can apply to anybody, whether you're married to a high-conflict personality or not, which takes in a narcissist, bipolar, etc. All it takes is one person to change the way they communicate to not argue back, to listen without interrupting so that you can completely hear and understand exactly what your spouse is saying. We all do this. We all, when we feel threatened in any situation, it doesn't have to be divorce. What do we do? We go on the the offensive because we're defensive, right? And we just argue and we interrupt and you want to get your point across. We all have done that. Working on conflict communication means learn the discipline of silence and really listen. Because we interrupt each other constantly, we really don't get the value of the person's full thought process. And when I get people in mediation and I say, In my own way, I either hold a hand up, please don't speak right now. When the person speaking is able to finish their thought without interruption, which means let them take a breath, see if they're really done. Don't say, are you done now? That's so rude and challenging. You'll know when they're done because they will actually say, thank you for letting me speak. I'm done. When you allow somebody to speak at length without interrupting, you will hear a message that you will be surprised at because you've never let him talk or her talk. Finish. And, and, and so the gold is in not interrupting. And when somebody has this speech pattern, John, and, 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 and we all know people who do that, they will start a sentence and then they will shift to another sentence. So they will go from one thought to another. I say, wait a minute, finish the sentence. You just were starting. When I say that and they finish that, oh, I thought you would, I figured you would already know what I was going to say. No, I don't. Finish the sentence. All of a sudden, the whole context of the conversation changes because they're assuming you know, you're assuming they know what you're thinking. No, we don't. Yeah, we're not. Finish your thought. And so one person can absolutely change the dynamic to a certain extent. There's a, um, an example that Bill Eddy gives in one of his books, and it's a woman who used his methodology, um, the BIF method, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm when you respond to somebody. And I'll give you an example. She used the Biff method. She had a very adversarial husband, and she just stood her ground on not arguing back. When they sat down to sign the settlement agreement, he said to her, 
I apologize for mistreating you during this divorce. You had been nothing um, short of kind to me and respectful to me. And I was not that way back. And I am going to change now. I was, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. A quick example of brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And then I have to go, unfortunately. Yes, I was going to ask you and about that. Can, let's just, and, let's do part, and let's do part two because there's so much more to talk Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Okay, so quick example. A family of four. Two young children, ages four and five, and two parents. Rocky relationship, but not yet filed for divorce. Sunday, piano recital for the five-year-old. Everybody knew about it, like normal parents. It's on the refrigerator, you know, the time, the date, when they have to leave for rehearsal. And both parents had taken the daughter two piano lessons so they knew exactly where the recital was because with kids the recitals typically at the piano teacher's house you know yeah and um so everybody's getting well mom and the two kids are getting ready obviously mom's getting the kids ready because they're young and they're out in the car and dad's not in the car and dad has a habit of always being late dad's a little bit of a narcissist Dad has to control time and control the events. So mom and the two kids are in the car, and dad's going to drive. Dad's not there. So mom calls on the cell phone. Hey, we're in the car. Come on down. And dad says, I'll be down in 20 minutes. I'm jumping in the shower. Now, mom could have done one of two things. She could have done, what are you talking about? You're in the shower. You knew when we had to leave. There's a rehearsal. We have to get there. Oh, my God. You do this all the time. I can't believe it. Yada, yada, yada. Instead, mom did this. She used brief, informative, friendly, and firm. I understand, honey. Go ahead and take your shower. Uh, we have to be at rehearsal in 10 minutes. So we're going to go. You know where it is, but the address is on the refrigerator. We look forward to seeing you. Hangs up, drives off. It just neutralized the argument. And there concise. was no argument. Took control. Didn't upset the children. You know, the five-year-old is going to perform. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. That's how you neutralize an argument. It's unbelievable. That is John, pretty. So was this interview. This, this was, was really good. Yeah, this was a great uh, first part. I look forward to having you on in the near future, Judith. Whenever you have the availability, we'll definitely connect and uh, reschedule a new date for part two. I don't know what else thank to say, you. but thank you because uh, you're very informative, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk to people because you're in people in your audience are going to get divorced if they're not already divorced. And so I think what we covered today is really helpful. It's the top salient points, but, but there's a little bit more. And, and so I just really appreciate the opportunity to be able to, you know, put people on a different path, hopefully. So well, thank you, John. I appreciate your opening my eyes and I, I look forward to having you here on the future there, Judith. Thank you. Thank you for your interchange on the LinkedIn site. That was really good. <laughs> I liked it. No problem. Folks, nobody likes a tip. So that's why we 
Go Deep. Go Deep. Go Deep. Go Deep. This is Go Deep Productions. Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep.